Hello and welcome to the Coached by Dan podcast Q&A edition uh, with myself, Dan Reese. Uh, first things first, hope wherever you are, whoever you are, hope you're having a very, very phenomenal day so far today. Um, yeah, thought I'd say that first things first. It's really cold um, in Dublin now, fucking hell. It's gone from like Indian summer or so-called promised Indian summer week to what I can only describe as weather where you're going to have a cold, which I suppose in today's climate isn't ideal, um, I suppose. But we shall uh, we shall crack on anyway. Um, enough chat about the weather. I don't know why, but whenever I'm doing a solo podcast and I don't particularly know how to do the intro or what to say in the intro, I just go to the weather. You know, here's down with the weather. Boom. Um, so yeah, like I mentioned beforehand, no guests this week. Sad face, sad reacts, sad crying emoji. Um, but instead I took to Instagram last night and I said, hello everyone, can you please send me questions and I will answer them in the podcast. And then I went to my client exclusive Facebook group too um, and I asked them for questions too. So what I've done is I have a few questions from Instagram, a few questions from WhatsApp messages from clients. Um, 13 in total um, if we've time towards the end and the podcast isn't running too long I will open my phone and flick through the Facebook group once because they're a little more on the silly side there there are any clients watching this now these are fucking great with the questions on the <laughs> in the Facebook group um, some good ones there some funny ones there so we'll touch on them towards the end but we'll get through the more the more serious ones towards the start so without further ado question one of 13 how to exit a dieting phase without being a dickhead with nutrition and first things first i'd love to say this is from a client and i love how the phrase eating like a dickhead has brushed off to them so there we go so how to exit dieting phase without being a dickhead with nutrition i suppose it is very important to take into consideration when dieting down that we are going to be a little more strict on ourselves with our food choices do you know like if we're on lower calories opting for a pizza from a takeaway where it could be like upwards of two and a half thousand calories. You know, when we're on lower calories, it's not ideal to be eating that much just from a sustainability point of view. There's nothing wrong with it. If you can fit it into your calories and your macros and carry on through your day every now and then, by all means, go for it. But for the majority of people, you know, we will go pretty hungry if all we're eating today in a day is a pizza and that's taking up the entirety of our calories. Um, so we're, lo- we're going to be a lot more strict with our food choices, more calorie-less dense options. That's a word it is now. Um, I suppose when you come out of a dieting phase, you know, you often hear about people rebounding and gaining obscene amounts of body fat. And that's just a case of they were very restrictive of themselves when they were dieting down. And then coming out of it, they kind of rebound. And like, at the end of the day, there's nothing wrong with, you know, having a bit more higher calorie dense food. Like for myself, for example, I've been dieting down now for the last, what, 18 weeks? Uh, two weeks left. Well, no, a week left like next week my last week um and i really want to get a pizza i haven't had a takeaway pizza since february and i'm like you know what i really want one but that's not me eating like a dickhead that's me saying you know what i just want to treat myself when i'm done and then go back as normal so i suppose we can be very proactive and we can be have a very proactive or reactive response to eating like quote-unquote dickhead in my opinion we can be proactive in the sense of you know if you're eating a diet where you feel like you have to eat like a dickhead when I say eat like a dickhead, I mean like just eating tons and tons of overly calorie-dense foods for the sake of it because you've been quote-unquote so good to yourself um, for dieting down and then you kind of undo all that progress from dieting down. So suppose if you diet down very, in an overly restrictive, strict manner, um, 
then that's going to make you more susceptible to going a bit overboard um, when gaining back up. So suppose from a proactivity, I think it's a word, point of view, when you're dieting down, just be sure that you're not restricting yourself too much. You're obviously eating foods that align with the goal, but you're also, you know, you're allowing yourself to have the odd treat now and then. You're following some kind of an 80-20 protocol where 80% of your calories comes from good quality nutrient-dense foods and 20% comes from, you know, your treats, that kind of way. I'll hold my hand up high and say, I've had a bar, bar of chocolate about 100 days I've been dieting. Um no shame, no guilt. Um, I've followed my macros, my calories as closely as I can, and I've dropped a good 14, 12, 13, 14 kilos. So from a reactive point of view, I'd say just the best thing you can do is kind of do it slowly. You know, don't look to, you know, stay accountable. If you're working with a coach, that obviously do it in a manner where you're slowly putting the calories back up. We're obviously not going to go from whatever calories are on now to like a thousand plus calories above. It's going to slowly, gradually go up. And what that's going to do is, from a from your psychological point of view, it's going to, you know, you're going to have slower changes to your nutrition. So you're not going to feel a need to go mad over your calories. When you make small changes, there's no room to do that. And if you're being held accountable, that shouldn't happen. If you're doing your own, it's a lot more likely to happen. So I say... First things first, just don't be restrictive in your current diet. Number two, if you're not already, probably work with a coach. It could help out if you're kind of going through that process of kind of changing you've never done before. And number three, just if you are doing it on your own, just really slowly increase your calories to the point where you know, like you've been quite good in yourself tracking-wise staying in your calories. So if you're doing slow in a slow, consistent manner, there shouldn't be the feel or the need to eat like a quote-unquote dickhead. So there we go. Question two, should you go straight from a cut to a lean bulk? And first things first, I want to just address lean bulk. When we're bulking up, you know, we can minimize, we can we can control the body fat we gain, but we're always going to gain some amounts of fat tissue. So the whole idea of lean bulking is not getting, not putting on body fat when, we, when you bulk up. It's inevitable. You will gain some body fat if you're in a surplus calories. Now, obviously, we can control that, so we're not putting on huge amounts, but I would just want to put that out there first. And I suppose it's person dependent. If you happy with your body fat and you don't want to go gaining a huge amount of muscle you can move to more of a maintenance phase and kind of hold calories around there if you're somebody who's been dieting down with the goal of building muscle then yes maybe slowly like i mentioned beforehand slowly bringing calories back up to a point where you're kind of comfortably eating more to a surplus that's a good shape but i would say yeah it, it depends on the goals if you're someone who wants to maintain that kind of lean look bring the calories with maintenance and chill in there for a while that's a good shout um but if you're someone who want who want who want, and originally dieted down to you know bulk back up afterwards See slowly but uh, add calories back up in a slow controlled manner to see a more optimal position of muscle mass to be accrued. Question number three. Um are there any gender differences when approaching training? And yes, there are. However, I have recorded a full podcast on this. Funny enough, it was the last podcast, episode 30. So um I don't particularly want to repeat myself massively on here like yes there are going to be um changes you know taking the menstrual cycle into account um you know looking at obviously the luteal phase compared to like obviously looking at the two phases of the, of the menstrual cycle in itself follicular and luteal phase and kind of where kind of training and nutrition would, be more, would vary in that you know i could ramble on about a whole podcast about this and obviously i did so i would say go back and have a listen to um episode 30 of the podcast the last podcast i actually recorded before this with david poff and about 45 50 minutes talking all about gender differences when training okay question four um Tips for managing stress. Or just tips for managing stress. And I suppose, I do of course have tips, but it's going to be very dependent on the stress itself. Do you know? Everyone 
suffers from different kinds of stress. Stresses don't necessarily mean work stress, family stress, you know, that kind of stress we're very kind of aware of. Stress can also be training. So if you find that, you know, you're, you aren't recovering properly from a session, like we'll get on to kind of the more mental stress in a second, but if you find you're not, you know, recovering properly from sessions, it's a case of, well, maybe we need to look into training volume. Maybe we need to reduce the volume down. Maybe we need to bring calories up. Maybe we need to get more sleep in. There's always going to be stuff to focus on there. And if you're somebody who's looking to drop body fat, but you're always in a very stressed state, you know, we want to walk before we can run. Let's look to manage the stress a little better before we go and put you in deficit calories. Because at the end of the day, a deficit calories is a stressor. So we want to leave you as much stress as possible. So managing training volume, recovery, nutrition, sleep, really, really important. But then it comes to the case of maybe training is causing sleep. Maybe you're trying to do too much too quick. Maybe you, you're training, you promise yourself, I'm going to train three days a week, do three cardio sessions, do this amount of steps, I'm going to do four sessions, five sessions, whatever amount of sessions you're doing. And it gets to a point in life where you just can't do it anymore. With any stressor, be it, you know, to do with training, be it to do at home, with relationships, whatever the stressor is, control what you can control. Don't jump the gun and forget what you can't control. If it's a point where, you know, geez, you're, you're with you're with a missus, you're with your mister, your missus, a fellow, your, your your girlfriend, your boyfriend, whatever it is, and you don't want to be in that relationship anymore, and that's causing stress. You know, we've got to look at the sunk, loss, the sunk cost fallacy, and that is basically, you know, not investing further time into something based on the prior time invested into the situation. Like, if you're with someone just because you've been with them for a few years, that is not a valid reason to stay with that person. If you're not enjoying yourself, you're not enjoying yourself, finish it, move on. Make yourself happy. Take the stress away. If it's work stress, well, what's stressing you out at work? Is it the job itself? Is it worth working in that job? Could you look for a different job? You know, can you control the stressor? Yes. You don't like your job? Find a new job. Like, obviously, work there for the time being. Don't just quit straight away. But, you know, look around for jobs similar to what you want to do. Or if it's a totally different career change, you know, at the end of the day, it may seem quite daunting. But taking that first step towards that stress is going to be huge. And I kind of relate to that massively myself. College, I hated my course. I hated what I was doing. I hated studying. Um, that was stressing me out so, so much because I felt like I'd have to do that for the rest of my life. And I didn't want a life where I was stressing about what I was doing. Personal training, coaching online, appealed to me far more. So I left college. I dropped out of college. I do not have a degree. And I'm doing what I'm doing now. Run my online coaching business, Coach Bidan. I'm personal training in the gym. And I'm absolutely loving it. Of course, there are going to be stressful times. But... I'm willing to have that trade-off. I'm willing to struggle for that happiness. But I suppose when it comes to any stressors, it's always a case of we can't remove stressors from our life, but we can't perceive them management differently. If it's a case of you're training too much, we'll train a little less. If it's a case where work's, you know, becoming a bit overwhelming, focus, put more in your eggs in the work basket. Stress is going to be very individual-based and, like, you can't obviously look into things to manage, like meditation and breathing techniques and all that fun stuff, but I suppose... The key thing when dealing with any stress is identifying the root cause of that stress. Ask yourself, right, can I control the stress? Yes, cool. If it's a no, ask again, are you sure I can control the stress? Because chances are you probably can. If you can control the stress, if it's by not doing something, if it's by changing what you're doing, you can manage it. So I'd say first things first, identify the stressor. Ask if you can change it. If you can, make every decision you make going forward in order to eliminate that stress or reduce that stress or perceive it differently. And if you can't, Control the stressor. Well, then what is the point in stressing over it? There we go. Um, yeah, it's stressful, guys. If you have any questions that personally, let me know and we'll help you out there. What happens if you overeat? As in talking about what's going on in your body if you overeat. 
Um, so basically, if we overeat, like, you just, like, there's nothing, it's going to be a relatively short question to answer. People kind of will forget, like, if you, if you're dieting down and you've gone, you know, crazy over your calories, you've gone a thousand calories over, you've gone a thousand calories over, you've gone into a thousand calories more, it, it, that may not even be a surplus. You might be in a thousand calorie deficit. You may have just gone to maintenance calories. You may go, wake up tomorrow morning being the same weight or maybe being a little heavier, but it's not body fat. Like, it's very hard to gain that much body fat in one day. If, from a psychological psychological point of view, if you overeat the, 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 in your body, what happens to you? Like, you're obviously going to, you're potentially going to stress out and kind of be like, oh, shit, I shouldn't have done that. But at the end of the day, it was, like, looking back to the last question, can it control changing what you've eaten the day beforehand? No, so don't worry about it. I think the key thing if you overrate one day is to not stress about it. It's always to identify why you did it and ensure going forward that it doesn't happen again. Or the reasoning as to why it happened again doesn't occur again because you've kind of identified and you've kind of worked past it. Um, if you hear dogs barking in the background, I'm very, very sorry. Very hyper patty downstairs. Um, but from a physical side of things, you know, what's not going to happen is what kind of wanna, how, how I kind of want to answer this. You're not going to put on whatever weight you put on the next day. It's not going to be body fat. It's very hard to put on that amount of body fat that you'll fluctuate upwards in the space of a day. You're going to retain more water. You're probably going to have more food in you. And obviously, these things all weigh. Um, you know, if you continue to overeat, your body will obviously be having taking more calories. So it will adjust to that. If you're eating a surplus, it will gain more body fat. If you're maintaining your, if you're at maintenance calories, it'll hover around the same. But there's not a huge amount to it. Now, if you overeat one day by 300, 400, 500 calories, you could just reduce your calories the next day by two, three, four, five hundred calories, or reduce it by that amount over a number of days. Um, but suppose what happens if you overeat? Like what happens in your body if you overeat one day? Not enough to worry about. There we go. Question number six. What is the difference between strength training and hypertrophy training? That's a great question. Um, now, strength is purely using a muscle in question to shift as much weight from point A to point B and back up to point A again. Um, example being a bench press. Point A being the top position, point B being your chest, point A being the top position. You know, moving that as much weight in that range of motion as you can. Hypertrophy training is more so the training with the sole goal of developing muscle tissue and muscle size. And yes, they can coincide. Like the more muscle someone has doesn't necessarily mean they will be stronger, but it means they'll have more potential to become stronger. And like if someone's quite strong, it gives them more potential to be bigger. Being big doesn't mean you're strong and being strong doesn't mean you're big. Um, so there we go. Um, but the only difference would mainly be like with strength training, you're not so focused on, you know, things like tempo or things like it's it can be it could be it could be tempo specific strength but if we're talking about strength isn't like a barbell bench press or a squat or a deadlift as much as you can your main focus is moving the weight through range of motion um as heavy as you can um without injuring yourself i suppose and when it comes to hypertrophy training you know it's more so a case of right looking into exercise looking at the training looking into nutrition as to how can we optimize this so our muscles develop and grow in a much more optimal rate. Um, I suppose that answers the question. Uh, question seven. I like this one. As a trainer, how do you stop yourself from burnout? Um, and it's a great question, just because I feel like, you know, I have dealt with burnout. I've dealt with stress within work quite a lot. I have a kind of a bit of a story to ramble on about this. Um, and I feel like everyone will go through burnout at some point in time. Everyone's reason for this may not be the same. But in talking about what I'm about to talk about, it could help you see burnout in a different light. So, I suppose the backstory, first of all, um, about a year and a half ago, uh, I was about a year, 
into training as a PT. I was coaching online and I was relatively busy in the gym. And it got to a point where I, I was kind of, after class said to me, Dan, can you, can we train at six tomorrow morning? And I'm going to bed at 11. I'll be like, yeah, sure, no worries. I'll be kind of putting everyone else first. And in doing so, I didn't really make time for myself. Um, I did, there was, a, there was about a month or two where I trained about once a week. Uh, my food had gone to shit. I was ordering takeaways most nights, to be honest. Um, just because I didn't have time to train. I didn't have time to cook. And my sleep's gone to shit. Because I was focused more so on you know, coaching clients in the gym and online and not taking any time to myself. And I burned out from that very quickly. I actually was admitted to uh, A&E uh, May last year um, with a stress-induced panic attack. And that wasn't fun. And the doctor pretty much put it down to you're stressed, you're, you're going to pure burnout, you know, whatever you're doing, stop or else this won't stop. I was like, right, well, I should probably calm down a little bit. And what I found was I was trying to please others instead of pleasing myself. I was trying to help others and not help myself. And I suppose the really important thing to take into account is you're not going to be able to help anyone else unless you can help yourself. And that's one thing I wasn't doing. I wasn't helping myself. So what I did was I took a step back and I was like, right, what do I enjoy? I enjoy training. I enjoy sleeping eight hours a night. I enjoy eating properly. The basics, the bare basics I wanted to do. I wanted to socialize. So I made, I helped myself. I made myself happy first. And I focused on doing what I enjoyed. And then I worked around clients in that way. If someone said I can train at six, I was like, listen, that actually doesn't work for me. Can you train at five instead in the evening? That works for them? Sweet. Perfect. And it's about helping yourself first of all and then looking to help others. Because at the end of the day, like I mentioned there, if you cannot help yourself, you're going to have a very hard time helping anyone else. So how to deal with burnout? It's a case of identifying why the burnout's there, what's induced it, and how can you control it so it doesn't happen again, you know? Is the case of stepping, taking a step back from work? Is, do you need a bit of a break? Do you need a bit of a breather? Do you need to pull back on anything else? Do you, know, do you need to give more time to yourself? Do you know? There could be a million and one things that's causing burnout. From my own end, it was, a t- it was a case of helping myself, making myself happy, and that's what really got me out of that burnout phase about a year and a half ago. Um, but, 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 but I'm lost in questions. Where are we? Um, I was going to say coffee break or water break but I've broken my own rule of habit and I don't have a cup of coffee and I don't have a bottle of water on me which is great um ah great question should I be trained to failure on isolation movements like 99% of fitness questions it depends on the go like at the end of the day, like if we're looking to build muscle, some means of like depending on how far along and how experienced you are, some means of training to failure is going to be pretty important. Like at the end of the day, like train to failure works. You know, if you're looking to build muscle, train to failure, you're stressing your body out, you're stimulating quite a lot, so it will quote unquote work. Um, so I suppose it's kind of understanding that and kind of saying how can we implement that into training, for example. I want to say it works. Obviously, that's in conjunction with a lot of other things, like obviously your recovery being on point, your training volume being on point, your nutrition being on point, your sleep being there. You know, train to failure will provide your body the stimulus. It'll stress it out and you'll adapt to that stimulus. But there's a few considerations to take into account when we're training to failure. For example, I would say train to failure on a barbell back squat at the end of a session is a very poor idea. We've always got to look into risk versus, versus reward. In a sense of, you know, if we're training towards the end of a session, we're going to be relatively fatigued. And if we're doing an exercise like a back squat that has obviously quads and glute involved, but our back, the bar placement on our back, our spinal rectus, our lats are doing a lot of work to hold the bar in place because we're so fatigued, that could take away from the movement itself. So it's a case of, is that going to be a worthwhile exercise to go to failure on? And I'd say no. 
When looking to go to failure on an exercise, you've got to take stability into account because, you know, it means that we can fail relatively safely, if that makes sense. Like, I could train to failure on a reverse band hack squat or a pendulum squat or machine chest press a lot safer than what on a barbell bench press with no spotter or a barbell deadlift or a not barbell deadlift you're kind of good to go they just drop the bar or a barbell squat or something of that manner you know walking lunges going to failure on them sweet it's very hard to injure yourself doing a walking lunge from a form point of view um if you are going to train towards failure because again should you be trained towards failure you need a lot more i suppose uh, context to say yes or no to that but i say if you are choosing to go to failure look to when you're doing those exercises as in probably better said to put it more towards the end of a session um where you may have accumulated more fatigue and in saying that as well if you are going to do it towards the start of a session you know do it within an environment that is relatively stable so if you're going to do it for if you want to work towards failure on a on a compound quad exercise like a compound like a squat variation for your quads or glutes a hack squat a leg press a pendulum squat you know, place where you're very much st- stable. If you fail, worst case scenario, you just go to the bottom. You're good to go. With the bar, you've got the heavy bar on your back. You could, you've, like, you, obviously, your back as a hindering factor as to how much you're lifting and to be what's fatigued. So if you're going to train towards failure towards the start of a session, you know, stability is key. Towards the end of a session, you know, look at exit selection. And should you be trained to failure on isolation movements? Yes and no. It's very person dependent. More context is needed. Now, moving into the um, Instagram questions. I have one, two, three, four, five, six. No, five of these, sorry. Um, so question one. Have you ever considered competing in um, natural bodybuilding, for example? And yes, I have, to be honest. Um, yes, I have considered competing. Um, is it right for me right now? No. Um, it is something I've, I've dabbled in thinking about. But I think it's definitely one of those things that requires a lot more time and effort. And right now, I don't want to have that trade-off between work and relationships and business and my social life for competing. Um, I suppose I also want to compete for the right reasons. I know some people compete because they want a fucking new profile picture on Instagram or a few photos for Instagram or Facebook or that kind of way. If I was to compete, I compete for myself. I compete to do well. And I compete just, you know, give myself that challenge. Um, if it was to compete as well, it meant that it kind of broadened the horizon of clients I can help. So if, I, if someone came to me and wanted to compete, had I a few, you know, competitions, a few shows under my belt, I'd feel a lot more comfortable taking someone on. Would I take someone on now? No. For competitions, that is. Um, so I have considered it, but right now it's just not a good time for me. Um, with business growing as it is, with more focus on my own training just enjoying myself and kind of building muscle and strength again in that saying as well i don't feel like i'm nearly big enough to compete i do want to accrue a bit more muscle mass before i hop into onto the stage um so that's going to be a goal of mine as well and i'll be taking the next few years to do that so i'm basically giving myself like two three years to build some more muscle to work on the business to put my eggs in the baskets that i want to value next in the day i wouldn't value competing right now what do i do what do i value i value right now the growth of my business i value right now helping my clients you know, in, in, as well as I can. I value, you know, my own training, my own growth, actually building muscle myself. I value spending time with people I, I care about, relationships, friends, that kind of side of things. And, you know, I want to put everything to that right now. And I know, I, I know, obviously, come competing and come, you know, prepping for a show, there comes those trade-offs. And I just don't want to, I, I don't feel like I want to have those trade-offs at the minute. Might it change in the future? Yes. So, we'll... We'll, we'll, we'll think about it.
Um, question number 10. Question two of the, of the Instagram questions. Um, how important is fruit and veg intake for body composition? I suppose indirectly, not super important. As in like fruit and veg will not directly make one more lean and give them more muscle. But indirectly, it can be great help. So body composition will come... Body composition basically means obviously your, your body's, you know, ratio from muscle to body fat. Sorry. Big stretch, big yawn. I would pause the podcast for that, but you know what? Fucking let's leave it in there. Unedited. The, the raw, live, uncut Dan Reese. Um, but indirectly can be helpful. So when we're looking to lose body fat or go through some kind of fat loss to muscle building, you know, we've got to look into what's going to help us drop body fat. Being in a calorie deficit for a sustained period of time is going to be very helpful for that. Why? Because it's the only way you can fucking lose body fat. Um, but with that being said as well, Losing body fat is no walk in the park. It's not just a case of eat less, do more. You know, fat loss it can be quite strategic when you're looking at it. You know, how can we help this person? Well, my point of view is how can I help this person, you know, go through compositional changes, um, drop body fat and build muscle in as doable and manageable manner as possible. Because in the day, there are always going to be obstacles when dropping body fat. Um, and it's a case of working around those obstacles. And hunger might be one of those things. If people are stressed out, they eat. That's an example. Um, it's a case of how can we, you know, allow them to stay full and not overeat in their calories. And fruit and veg can be very helpful there. Why? Because it's very volume dense for very few calories. Like, I made an omelette the other day. And this omelette had about 750 grams of veg, mixed veg, in the omelette. Uh, two eggs, two egg whites, like 750 grams of mixed veg. Came out to 389 calories. And that was, like, in total about a kilo of food. That's a lot of food for 389 calories. And it kept me very full for very long. And I didn't feel the need to eat any more food. And if I can do that, if I can hit my macronutrient goals, my my calorie goals, have energy and feel great while dieting down, that's going to be huge. So from that point of view, yes, vegetables and fruit are going to be really important because it allows you to pack more volume into your diet without actually going over on the calories that could potentially put you out of that kind of dieting phase. So, from body fat point, from body composition point of view, it can be very helpful there. Um, but, like in, but like directly speaking, just by eating quote-unquote clean, um, just by eating veg and eating fruit, that's not going to have you losing body fat. Cause in, at the end of the day, if you're burning 3,000 calories a day and you're eating 4,000 calories of fruit and veg every single day, you'll be in surplus calories, you will gain body fat. It's very hard to eat 4,000 calories worth of fruit and veg, so don't worry about that. Focus on, if you're dieting down, packing your diet with as many colors and textures of fruit and vegetables as you can um, to help you keep fuller, longer, and all on, enjoy yourself. Veg tastes amazing. Anyone's otherwise is just lying. There we go. <laughs> um, I got two questions about, to start off with, do you prefer clients that, quote, quote, dot, dot, dot? And just for, as a disclaimer before I go into these questions, I have no clients I favor and no clients I don't like. That's just not a thing. Um, people I work with, I work with people who I can help. You know, some comes to me who doesn't seem very keen on working towards their goals or it seems like I want them to achieve the goal more than they do. I'll refer them on to someone else. If someone comes to me saying, Dan, I want to be the next Olympic weightlifter, cool, but I can't help you there. If someone comes to me with a goal they want to achieve and I know I can help them achieve it and I know they can work towards the goal, I'll work with them. So I don't have, I don't prefer clients, but question is, do you prefer clients that question your planning or that go along with it? 
And I suppose it's a bit of both, to be honest. Like, at the end of the day, you learn from questioning things, you know? We can obviously learn by being told, but we can, that's, that's how we're fed poor information. You know, I think one big reason why social media is very counterproductive from an education point of view is because there's no filter. And I can go out there and share that, you know, eating plastic bottles will help you drop body fat. And if I have a big enough following, people will start eating plastic. Um, you know, I could, you can hear dogs downstairs. I'm sorry about that. Um, I, if I have been a following, I can say, oh, stab yourself with this injection. That skinny job. And you will get fucking lean. Like, no, don't do that. Question everything. Look into things and see what the actual reality situation is. Just because someone says something doesn't mean it's true. Just because a uh, hundred people say something's dumb, it's still dumb. Do you know? Just because a million, if, if the population like 7 billion people, if 6.9 billion people said 2 plus 2 is 5, that doesn't mean 2 plus 2 is 5. 2 plus 2 is 4. End of the story. Um, the earth is round. The earth is not flat. Just because flat earth society is so massive doesn't mean that the earth is fucking flat. Um, but when it comes to training, like if clients have questions on my programming, I want them to ask it. I don't want to feel like a sheep going along with it. If they don't enjoy something or if they feel like something needs changing, you know, I want them to say it to me. I don't think, oh, this plan doesn't work for me. I got to stop. It's a case of, hey, oh, Dan, listen. Can you put in the program here? I'm not enjoying it. It's not quite for me. Can we mix it up? Absolutely, yes, we can. Um, I'd rather them do that than just stick with it and kind of get nowhere. Um, but I suppose from the idea of like, do I prefer clients that go along with it? I like clients who trust in the process. I've worked with people in the past who have obviously questioned things, and that's obviously fantastic. When I give them the reason behind it, they're like, that's totally cool, but they wouldn't do the program anyway. I was like, why aren't you in the program? They're like, oh, well, I just don't trust it. It's like, this doesn't work for me. These are usually people who've been on super duper duper low calorie diets. And I've given them more calories and I've given them more activity and more step, a higher step goal and more things to do. And they can do them and they do them and they lose weight, but they're still like very skeptical. And obviously I can do all I can to allow them to perceive that a little differently and to kind of identify like, listen, you're making progress while eating more and just doing more. But sometimes people just don't want the change and that's fine. And it's those kind of people I would love to say, listen, just... Just trust in me, trust in the program, trust in the process, and I guarantee you will see some crazy, crazy results. And it's the clients who have had that nice mix between questioning things and trusting the process are the ones who see the best results. At the end of the day, I am not perfect. No one is perfect. If you think you're perfect, you are not perfect, for fuck's sake. Um, if I make a plan for a client and there's a few things that don't work for them, all of them say it to me. Because these people are going to create a plan that's going to be more devised towards them. They're going to enjoy it more. They're going to do it more. They're going to trust the process more. And all of a sudden, they make crazy results. So, do I prefer clients who question my methods or go along with it? Both. If someone can do both, if someone can question what we're doing, why we're doing things in line with their goals, and why we're doing it in line with those goals, um, and then I explain, go along with it, and kind of see progress, you know, they are the ones who see the best results. Second uh, preferred question, same client. Do you prefer training ballsy people that aim big or realists? Again, neither. I, I, I will work with anyone. You know, anyone who I feel like I can help, I will help. If they have a mad ballsy goal of, you know, for this individual, climbing Mount Everest, um, and they feel like they need to develop their strength and body composition before they get to that point, I know I can help them with that. I may not be able to help them climb Mount Everest itself, but I can help them with their training and nutrition before that. If someone comes to me saying that they want to be an Olympic weightlifter, I cannot help you with that. Um, I'll move on to someone else. So I don't care what the goal is. The goal could be losing five kilos. The goal could be losing 25 kilos. The goal could be losing 50 kilos. Whatever the goal is, like if if 
if you seem driven enough and you want if you're willing to put in the time to work towards that goal i will work with you <laughs> that's simply put there's no ifs or buts or oh i don't want to work with someone whose goals are too big because your goals are meant to be big um so yeah no I suppose if, if i know i can help someone and they seem like they can they're going to put the work in and it's going to help with no matter how ballsy or how small the goal is i would be honored to work with them last question from the instagram q a part positive and negative effects of COVID 19 on your business and this has been an interesting one um but yes i think like everyone else um the pandemic the COVID 19 pandemic if you haven't already heard of it it's a bit of a big deal right now um has had positive and negative effects on my business um start with the negatives so going into lockdown um the initial the first knock on wood the, the first of hopefully not many lockdowns um where the gyms closed i was forced to go fully online and it was at a time where i suppose from an income point of view it was very much let's say 60 40 60 being from the gym 40 being from online and i was like shit i've just lost 60 percent of my income this is terrifying um, so from that point of view, from the negative point of view, um, I lost 60% of, 60% of my income. I'll just put it out there. I lost a lot of money. Um, I didn't lose money. I kind of, I wasn't getting as much money coming into me. But that kind of brought out a positive. Coach by online coaching. This is my business. This is my baby. I have now got two or three months to shave my head, grow a beard, first of all, but also put so much more time and effort into coaching online. I was doing about 55 hours in the gym pre-lockdown. I do about 20 now. Reason being, because over lockdown, I had time to knuckle down on everything I did online, and it allowed me to grow online bigger than I thought it could be. This is me trying to boast or be on like, I'm a fucking great PT, I'm a great coach. I simply put more time into my business, and it grew. Now, number-wise, I'm, I'm, I'm never going to share exact numbers. One person on Instagram did ask me what my income was, and I'm not going to fucking share that. Um, hence why I don't have it written down. Um, but... If I put it this way, from an income point of view now, it's it shifted from like a, a 60-40 on like 60 being one-to-one and 40 being online to more like a a 20-80 split. 20 being in the gym, 80 being online. And that's me also making more in total, um, which is absolutely crazy. It's absolutely game-changing, I suppose. The negatives I've brought, obviously the initial bits of lockdown i lost a few clients because obviously their jobs went and they couldn't pay for coaching that's absolutely fine but it allowed me to spend more time on my business and focusing what i wanted to do with it and who i wanted to help i could then create more content more 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 posts and more podcasts you know catering towards the people i want to help and as well more people came to me to help in that situation so lockdown was a blessing for online coaching i'm not gonna lie lockdown was a blessing but i wouldn't i wouldn't wish it happens again because i know there's a bigger picture than just me there are people out there who have lost their job i work for a very big gym and i know if i if we go to lockdown again i will have my job when i go back i will have online coaching but i know there are a lot of people who just about scrape the job jobs back after the first lockdown and if we go in second lockdown we'll lose their jobs and i don't want to be a selfish cunt and go out and do whatever and potentially put their livelihood at risk fuck that i would not want a second lockdown because i know how much it can offend someone both physically and mentally job wise etc etc lockdown and COVID 19 did help my business um it helped me put a lot more time into it um and it's given me a nice clear roadmap of where i want to go and who i want to help so there we go um it, it, it has been quite helpful for the business um 
but that's not me saying I want another lockdown or like that. It has just had more positives than negatives on my business. Now, that's all the Facebook and... I'm sorry, that's all the, uh, the WhatsApp and um, Instagram Q&As questions. So I'll pop on to Facebook now because I had a few funny ones um, yesterday. Uh, a few funny ones. I'm going to kind of read off now. So 25 comments. I think a few of them are me, are me as well. Um, first one. Uh, does playing Super Mario make you a plumber? I said yes to that. Um, I got one question that was, have you ever had a client when you felt like you couldn't work with them? And yeah, I have. But I suppose for like legal reasons, I can't say why. Like there are a few stories that pop into my head, but number one, I'm not going to fucking share that information on, on social media. If you're a PT and you do do that, you're, you're a cunt. Do you know? Your clients, what you do with your clients is very much, you know, private and behind closed doors. You have no right to be sharing fucking stories about them to anyone. So, yeah, there we go. Um, yes, I have had the drop clients beforehand that I, I felt like didn't weren't a good fit for me. That, you know, the things within coaching that I felt were quite disrespectful. But going beyond that, I can't say. So, yes, I have dropped clients before. Um, if I feel the need to again, I probably will if I feel like I need to. But um, I can't exactly say why. Um, yes, another question. Why use a lifting belt and how does it help? So, what lifting belts do, it... It's basically, a lifting belt is like those big leather belts you put around your tummy and you clip on. And what it does, it increases the amount of intra-abdominal pressure you can create. And what that'll do, that'll be quite helpful in providing more stability and give you more force to produce when going through like a squat or a deadlift or any kind of movement itself. From like a deadlift point of view, it can help you keep your spine a little more straight. It'll help you brace a lot more so you can have a lot more force to drive upwards. From a squat point of view, it can also do the same. You see people wearing belts doing bicep curls or like bench press and it's going to do very little for that. Any exercise where you feel like you have to take a deep breath in and hold it to push back up, like a squat, like a deadlift, like any exercise where you feel like you have to take a deep breath in and push against your stomach, they can help by creating more intra-abdominal pressure. Um, I could try to describe intra-abdominal pressure, but it'd be very hard to... If you look up intra-abdominal pressure on like Google, it'll show you like a picture of like arrows in your tummy and belt and it makes it a lot more doable. So I'd say go on to... Uh, Google, look up intradominal pressure, and the, the diagram of the picture you'll see will give a lot more a better explanation than I can give you here. Um, but yes, they'll just help you lift a lot more weight and could potentially help with form. Um, another question that, yeah, another one of the funny ones. Have you ever been romantically involved with a client? Um, I asked because my first PT slept with his client, and I responded with, I have not. Um, yeah, I've not had a romantic involvement with any of my clients. Um, the past, currently, and the future. Um, at the end of the day, this is my work, this is my business, this is not my romantic life, um, so I have not done that, I will not do that, very against that as a whole, so absolutely not. Um, yeah, the comments are great. Uh, oh my god, juicy question, <laughs> brilliant, and I actually PTing another PT um, who was asked have you and i'm actually haven't read the comments i'm not gonna read, uh, i'm not gonna read it out here because that's client exclusive group stuff only if you want to be in the client exclusive group kushbidan.com let's let's go um got a question again another jokey one why is stretching so important um also then a comment with that underneath don't forget the importance of hit and foam rolling too oh yes it's the superior of all exercise um ashling and steph <laughs> sad react only please um, and the last one was my opinion on flavors of whey protein. And I responded with a video of, um, Gattuso 
saying sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. And I think that, you know, I'm going to get the video up right now. I'm going to play it so you know exactly what I'm saying. So bear with me two sometimes seconds. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. One more time. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. And that is whey protein in a nutshell. Sometimes maybe good, sometimes maybe shit. Um, if you want to go for a nice flavor of my pro of uh, of protein itself, Ghost um, cinnamon cereal milk is the absolute bee's knees. It'll bob your uncle. It's fantastic. Um, my protein, it's a cheaper option. Um, I feel like it's not as tasty. Same with bulk powders. They're cheaper, um, but I feel like the taste reflects in the price, in my opinion. There are some nice flavors flavor from my protein, like cinnamon danish and um, strawberry cream and chocolate brownie. They're quite nice. But from like, if you want to go for really nice flavored ones, I'd say pay it a little bit more. Um, if because if you're not if you're not like I I wouldn't really supplement much, so I would spend a little more money on just the protein itself. If I'm having protein, so I go for like Optimum Nutrition or like Ghost. And listen, that is all the questions I have gotten. So that was what like fucking sixteen questions in total. A few I just didn't want to answer ask, or stay on this because they're talking about income and I don't want to talk about my income on a fucking podcast um because that's nobody's business but mine and my accountants so yeah 16 questions done and dusted um i hope everyone took some value from that podcast and from the questions and hopefully number one those who asked the questions i hope that i gave you sufficient answers if i didn't you are beyond welcome to message me on instagram at coach or email me dan reese personal training at gmail.com and go from there from a question point of view guys you don't need to wait for a q and a podcast come up i do q a's every sunday on my instagram so if you have any questions either dm me or wait till a sunday pop it up there and i'll answer you um but any other questions in total um please let me know um if you're not already please give me a follow on instagram at coached by dan um i've an email list too which if you go into my instagram page there's a link in my bio we can sign up to that as well um the daily dose of dan emails um and any online coaching inquiries, of course, you know what to do. Head over to www.coachedbydan.com. Have a flick through some testimonials. Have a flick through some of what's involved with coaching. And if it's something you want to get started with, let me know. And we will set up a call and we'll get you cracking away. Guys, thank you very much for tuning into episode 31 of the Coached by Dan podcast. As always, have a great day. Have an even better week. And uh, we'll chat soon. Bye-bye.